This is the podcast for RUF at App State. Everyone is welcome and no one is unexpected. For more information, visit us at appstate.ruf.org. And I am a campus minister here with RUF at App, and we've been going this semester through a series that we're calling Big Questions. Questions are powerful little things because they direct our attention and interrupt us and direct our attention to other things. The big questions of life, like what is real, who can I trust, these take our attention and they direct us to the ultimate things. And my invitation for you this semester is to see that as we direct our big questions to the God of the Bible, we get something better even than the questions, than the answers that we think that we want so badly. We get God himself. So let's look at another big question tonight, which is what is evil? What is evil? And that question being what it is, I think it's important for me to tell you right off the bat that I am, I hope, going to approach it appropriately, which means I'm going to talk about some heavy stuff. Because that's the only way to approach it, this question, with honesty. But first, let's look at these, these five verses uh, from the Bible. Isaiah 5.20 Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Proverbs 3, 7. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Matthew 6, 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Romans 12, 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And Ephesians 6.12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is God's word. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would teach us to see things clearly. Would you give us faith and courage to seek an adventure through big questions, and tonight a heavy question, and find you much better and bigger than the questions themselves. And we ask this in your name. Amen. There's a movie that came out last year. I think it was a great movie. It's called Mass. And it's about these two parents that both are connected to a traumatic event, and they meet in the basement of this church, and they're discussing going over the effect of being connected to this traumatic event. And one set of parents, their son, was shot and murdered in a school shooting. And the other set of parents, their son, was the perpetrator, was the killer. And the set of parents whose son was murdered in the school shooting, they are pressing the other parents, wanting some kind of clue, just some some hint that would explain what happened, what change that would lead your son to go into his school and kill his own peers. And they're pressing this and pressing it. And then the other parents whose son was the murderer, they eventually ask, what are we doing here? And the parents whose son has died, 
respond, we want to know why, why this happened. We need to understand why. This is the question that is eating them up inside. It's, it's tearing them apart. And it really, in some, in some way, feels to them like an awful holy grail, grail. Like if they can grab a hold of it and understand why this evil thing happened, then maybe, maybe they can find some healing. When we experience evil at the hands of other people, when we read about it or witness it from a distance, the question that, that looms really much bigger than any other question is why? Why would this happen? Why would this person do that? Why does evil exist at all? And this is a very weighty question. It's a question that the Bible itself asks, so it's a good question. But if we want to get anywhere near a true answer, any kind of true understanding related to evil, we have to ask another question first, which is, what is evil? What is it? And that's the question I want us to focus on tonight. What is evil? And as I'm speaking, I completely understand and just feel free. I know you'll be asking the why question, but why? Why evil? And I want to encourage you to first consider this question. What is evil? And I would love to talk with you about the why. But first, let's look at a question that really gets neglected because of the looming huge why question. What is evil? And I want to, to explore this question with you briefly tonight by looking at two aspects of it from the Bible, from the Christian perspective. So one, evil is out there. And two, evil is in here. Evil is out there and evil is in here. So first, evil is out there. It probably surprises us for as big of a deal as evil is, the Bible doesn't give us an origin story for evil. Within the first chapters of the Bible, it shows evil slithering into God's good world and corrupting things. But it doesn't give us some Marvel-style origin story for where evil came from or why it exists. Which probably gives us a hint as to what we should say about evil in the first place, which is that it's irrational. It's just chaos. God makes a beautiful and good world as a pure act of generosity. So why would anything rebel against him? Why would anything want to turn against him and cause corruption? In the end, it's a mysterious thing. But the Bible does tell us some crucial things about evil. It tells us that evil is, first, negation. Evil is negation. Another way to put it is evil is contradiction. And this is hinted at in Isaiah 5.20, where the Isaiah the prophet says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Evil and good are contradictions. They're opposite of one another. And so Isaiah says, Woe to anyone who would call evil what is good and good what is evil. Evil is a contradiction of good, but negation is actually the best word here because all evil is, in the end, is a deprivation. Air gets sucked out of a room and we're left gasping. Water gets drained from a lake and the fish are flopping in terror. That's what evil does. It negates. It deprives. An early Christian leader named Augustine, he says this, All which is corrupted or evil is deprived of good. 
What evil does is it basically digs a hole in goodness. It's an absence of good. But if that were all the Bible says, then basically we would think that evil is just some kind of absence. But it's also more than that. Evil is, according to the Bible, perversion. It's negation, but it's also perversion. Evil twists good. It poisons the well. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Screwtape Letters, he's imagining a conversation between a demon and another demon, and he imagines one demon saying to the other, everything has to be twisted before it's of any use to us. What evil does is it takes God's good world and it turns it into a context for horror. It takes relationships, which God gave us for intimacy and for love and security, and it turns relationships into a context for neglect and abuse. It takes a good gift like sex, which was given to us to to glimpse the joy and love that God has within himself, and it turns it into a context for shame and selfishness. It takes work, which was given to us for us to experience satisfaction as we use our bodies and our gifts to cultivate beauty in the world, and it turns work into a context for anxiety and drudgery. It takes technology, which was a gift that God gave us for us to to do our work and to, to live well, and it turns it into this context where we are enslaved to false hope and just meaninglessness. Evil perverts. But if evil can do that, if it has that kind of power, we should wonder what what actually is evil. And this leads us to Ephesians 6.12. You can read there up on the screen. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We're not up just against evil as some kind of idea or as a word, but as a real power, a spiritual power. Evil is out there. So that the evil actions that we see people commit are actually connected to things that we cannot see. A real unseen spiritual power of evil that negates and perverts and twists and poisons. And I understand the second I mention unseen spiritual power, you're immediately uncomfortable and and your skepticism is kicking into full gear and you're maybe wondering why you're here. But Before you let that drive you out, I want you to consider the question, what would actually have to be true for evil to be real? What would actually have to be true for evil to be real? So in 2007, when I was a freshman in high school at Virginia Tech, a 23-year-old student entered his school and murdered 32 of his fellow students and wounded 17 others. And there's a journalist named Greg Easterbrook who responded responded really critically to what the news outlets, how they were covering this, because they kept only referring to the shooter as the shooter, as though all he did was merely carry a weapon that just happened to discharge on the campus of Virginia Tech. And he writes this, we can see up here, in his article for the New Republic. It says, evil exists and must be spoken of as evil, not in euphemism. On a Wednesday, Monday morning in Virginia, evil armed itself and performed the most despicable of acts, pleasure in the taking of innocent life. Evil will arm itself again. As George Orwell showed, unless we call a thing what it is, we can neither think about it clearly nor oppose it. Evil is only evil if it really exists, not just as a word, but as a power. What Easterbrook is pointing out is that 
we need to call evil evil because it's what happened really was evil. But that should raise a question, what would have to be true if evil is, is actually real? It's only real if it exists not just as a word, but as a power. The evil actions we see, they must connect to something else that's real that we can't see. Otherwise, the word evil is totally emptied of meaning. Yes, we may call racism evil, but if evil is just a word, then it's really no more meaningful than saying that, that, that racism is unpleasant. And really, in the end, in reality, racism is no more evil than treating someone with equality. We know and we treat sexual assault as though it's evil. But if evil is just a word that doesn't connect to a real power, then it's no more evil than treating someone according to their wishes. We treat murder as though it is really evil, but if evil is just a word, then it's no more evil than giving someone a handshake. And, and if your reaction to talking this way really makes your blood boil and, and makes you feel disgusted, then you're just connecting to what's true. Because racism and sexual assault and murder are evil. They really are evil. Because evil is real. But the word only means something if evil is, is a real spiritual power out there, negating and perverting God's good purpose for his world. That's the only way it really means something. And evil is only evil if there is good, really good, not just as our preference, but as God himself. If evil is a real power, then the only way to understand it is as a negation and perversion of real goodness. And this goodness must be something real. And that can only be God himself. And this, this is so vital. This is so crucial. Because if we, if we don't ask this question, the what question, we skip to the why question. I want to know why it exists. And then if the answers are not satisfactory to us, then we will be tempted to abandon God. And we'll be abandoning the only one who can really make sense of your experience. Because if you have experienced awful things at the hands of other people, if, you have, if your dignity has been abused, you, are experience, you have experienced real evil. But to abandon God is to turn away from the only one who really tells you, call it what it is and grieve it for what it is and resist it for what it is. And you're turning away from the only one who has the power to bring hope and healing. And you really need that. And I really need that. So that's the first thing. Evil is out there. But secondly, let's look at evil in here. Evil is in here. And when I, again, when I say evil is out there, I mean that it's a real spiritual power that connects to evil actions we see in the world, which means that evil intersects or connects to human beings. And what that means is that evil first is infectious. Evil is infectious. It's like a virus that wants to spread, like COVID. And the only way, but the way it spreads is through human beings. And so we see in Proverbs 3, 7, the author says, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Evil is in pursuit of you and, and of me. It's contagious. And the way that you get infected with it is simply by being wise in your own eyes. By thinking that you understand good and evil simply on your own, which we might note is the default position of everybody. 
But look also at Romans 12, 21, where the author Paul says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Evil is, is in a war of rebellion against God and his good and beautiful purpose for the world. And evil, it wants to bring you in on its cause. In its evil onslaught on God's purposes, we are the casualties. And this is, it's so infectious and it's so, it's so terrible that when we think that we're fighting against evil, when we say, I'm fighting evil, so often what we're actually doing is being overcome by evil. We respond to oppression and we end up oppressing the oppressors. We respond to hatred and we end up being hateful toward the hateful because evil is infectious. It wants to bring us in on its horrible cause. But evil is is not just infectious, it's also internal. Evil is is not just something out there, it's also something in here, in my heart and in your heart. Which is why Jesus says in Matthew 6.13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, teaching his followers to pray this way. Deliver us from evil. And that word there that's translated deliver, we also find it in the book of Colossians, where the author Paul says that we have been delivered or rescued from the domain of darkness or evil and have been delivered into the kingdom of Jesus. We don't need to be delivered from evil only because we are bystanders affected by it, but also we need to be delivered from the evil that is in your own heart because nobody is immune from it. Everybody gets infected. Uh, There was a, back when Breaking Bad was in its heyday, there was an interview with Brian Cranston who played Walter White, the chemistry high school teacher turned drug lord who destroys his family in the process of seeking his own power and glory. He's interviewed by, Brent Cranston was interviewed by this guy who's commenting on the character Walter White. And he said, I really, I'm so fascinated now seeing here at the end of the show that it it turns out that Walter White really was a monster all along. That was the interviewer's takeaway. That when he becomes a monster, it really shows that that he was this, in a special sort of way, a monster all along. That's the twist. And Brian Cranston disagrees with the interviewer right there in the moment. He says, Kind of gently, you know, I actually think that the point is that Walter White really was just a normal person like you and me. And he became a monster. Brian Cranston is agreeing with the Bible's depiction of evil, which is that we all can become Walter White. But the Bible says something even further than that. It presses it even further. It says we all are Walter White. Because the same kind of evil that turned him into a monster lives in my heart and in your heart. It's so much easier to see evil out there, and it's so much more painful to see evil in here. This is, again, so vitally important because it tells us something about what it means to resist evil, what it means to fight evil. Because if we see evil only, only out there as something disconnected from us, that leads us to ingest and spread more evil. If we see evil only out there, we're tempted to only relate it to the the extreme acts of evil, like violence and sexual assault. And these are extraordinary acts of evil. 
But that might lead us to, to think that really evil is something that characterizes some few people out there. But the rest of us are essentially good. And that will lead us to an attitude of being quick to judge and harsh in our treatment from other, toward other people who we deem evil because we think that we are immune. We respond with, to the hatred that we've received, ways our dignity has been abused by other people, and our hearts get filled with hatred. And it grows in your heart like a weed, so it just is consuming everything. Someone takes your name and your reputation, and they, they run it through the mud. And, and what you do in response, legitimately looking at something that is wrong, that's evil, and you end up dragging their name through the mud. When we see evil only out there, we end up just becoming casualties in a war that we can't see. We end up ingesting it and just spreading more of it. But when we see evil in here first, it's then that we can begin to fight back. There's a song by Sutheon Stevens called John Wayne Gacy Jr. And he's writing about a man of the same name. John Wayne Gacy Jr. was a man who did a lot of good things in his spare time. He actually was on a volunteer basis. He would go to children's hospitals dressed as a clown and entertain sick children. And yet, back at his home, his floorboards underneath were the bodies of his victims, those who he had murdered. But at the end of the song, Stevens is writing about his own connection to this kind of evil. And he says... But, uh, sorry, and in my best behavior, I'm really just like him. Look beneath the floorboards for the secrets I have hid. It seems he's coming to this really terrible realization that the same kind of evil that overcame John Wayne Gacy Jr. is living in his own heart. What's underneath the floorboards of your own heart, of my own heart? But it's, it's only when we come to this kind of realization, actually, as terrible as it is, it's only when we get to that point and can, can say this, it's only then we can begin to fight back because it's only then that we understand that the one who can deliver us is the one who is good. There is only one who can deliver us from evil, both the world but also me. And that's God himself, the God of perfect goodness. The God of such profound, extraordinary goodness that he sent Jesus into the world to face evil itself and to endure its ultimate onslaught at the cross. And to, to even do battle with, with evil itself through his death. And through his death and resurrection to bring hope to people like you and like me who have become complicit in evil itself. It's only when we see God himself is the only one who can deliver us from evil, that we can call evil evil and look with hatred on it, but also look with a pained but real compassion toward those who commit evil, for those who also who've fallen, have fallen under its corrosive spell. It's only when we see God and his goodness that we can overcome evil with good. And so it's really, it's only the good news of Jesus that can overcome the horrible weight of evil in the world. 
Of course, we will ask, why evil then? But why? Why does it exist? Why does God allow it to, to continue to exist? We may be frustrated because in the end we're left with that question shrouded in mystery. But in the end, what God has given us, sent to us, is something even weightier and bigger than the answer we think that we want. He's given us himself. He's given us hope for the conquering of evil because he's already conquered it through Jesus himself. And we're given hope for the healing of all the wounds that evil has inflicted. That in the end, that healing will be so big, be so profound, that it will engulf and overwhelm the why itself. And believe it or not, you won't even ask it. This is more than an answer. This is the love of God. 